the CDC, saying we've got new guidelines. Schools should open in the fall and kids who are vaccinated don't have to wear a mask. Which is them saying you want your kids to go back to school, you better jab them. But what about the kids under the age of 12? Well, they're going to have to wear a mask, too, because everyone over the age of two in school should wear a mask, even though masks don't do anything. As we were discussing, there is no data on the CDC website that shows a mask does anything in schools. This is part of the radicalness that we're seeing from education. We also see this on the subject of critical race theory. We caught Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, in a lie. Her organization saying, in one breath, we don't teach critical race theory, and in another breath, tweeting out, listen to our wonderful treasurer secretary talking about the importance of teaching critical race theory. Meanwhile, you have Randy Weingarten saying point blank that they will defend those people who teach it. Mark my words. Our union will defend any member who gets in trouble for teaching honest history. Honest history. That's now what they call it because they've lost the battle. We understand that no matter what you want to say about critical race theory as a college application, a, a, a theory, a, a study of a legal theory, that what it means in practice is the bigotry being taught to children. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, the phone number, 833-468-8669. William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And his latest piece, Union-Linked Coalition Scripts Messaging to Counter Parental Pushback Against Critical Race Theory. And this is exactly it. Parents are, are, are hep to the jive, as the kids would say, and schools, administrators, union folk, teachers are infuriated that they're being questioned and they now have to rethink how they go about saying things because parents are aware. So let's take it uh, from, from the first part here, uh, William. Parents across America, they're not going away. They're standing up to this problem. Well, I think that's right, and you've seen that happening all over the country as soon as parents find out what's going on. And one of the battles that's being fought is whether parents are even allowed to find out what's going on. There seems to be this almost obsessive secrecy with what's being taught in the classrooms, particularly in elementary school and even kindergarten, where the children can't even really come home and explain to you what's going on. So this is happening everywhere. The teachers unions we're seeing, and I've seen this for months, are deeply, deeply embedded in pushing this stuff. Deeply, deeply. They use euphemisms for it. They don't call it critical race theory or training. They'll call it equity or they'll call it socially conscious learning or something like that. But the, long, the bottom line is they are completely racializing what's happening in the classroom. And it's having negative impacts and parents are getting angry. And what you're seeing is national unions throwing their hundreds of millions of dollars and their legal teams and their, you know, thousands or millions of members uh, into the battle now. It, it, they've come out, so to speak. It used to be they said nothing critical race theory is not happening, yet the National Education Association just endorsed it in school. So uh, it's really going on everywhere, and the two teachers unions have gotten caught 
because first they denied it. Now they don't deny it anymore. And they did get caught. And the reason they got caught is because parents have been the ones to notice what's going on. And I make the argument uh, that uh, the, these people, these administrators, these uh, some teachers, certainly not all, these unions, you're only in charge of education because we, the parents, allow it. When we, the parent, want to change our mind, things are going to change and there's a question about how that does change but first I want to get into your what you're discussing here about the messaging what is it that you found when you talk about how they reword things is it just something here something there or is it a rethink of the whole philosophy like you hear Randy Weingarten president of the American Federation of Teachers talk about honest history Yes, this is all very coordinated, all very scripted. One of the things I found online, and it was there for anyone to see who was willing to find it, was a document called a messaging guide. <laughs> they weren't even pretending. A messaging guide um, put out by something called, I think it's called the Partnership for Future Learning. It's a coalition of 300 large uh leftist educational groups, including the National Education Association, it's one of their funders, has multiple people on their steering committee, and it basically gives you the bullet points that teachers and union members and others should say when confronted by parents. And it's really kind of <clears throat> spooky because all of the talking points we hear in the media, all of the talking points we hear from Randy Weingarten are all in these bullet pointed talking points that they have and so it's really you know astounding how organized it is uh the we're only teaching the truth about history well no you're not that's why parents are upset uh you're not teaching that but that's what their message is you don't want us to tell students about slavery you don't want us to tell students about racism that's none of that is actually true what we're saying is you can't pit students against each other you can't make students feel bad about themselves because of their skin color. You can't teach them that they have some sort of historical responsibility because of something done a hundred years ago by somebody with similar skin color. Those are the things parents are objecting to. Nobody's objecting to teaching about the civil war and slavery. Uh, and so, but these are all on the messaging points. It's right in the booklet. Um, it's right there. It's truly astounding. And there's enormous money uh, behind it. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And this led to a story that I, I wasn't familiar with. Uh, in Boston, what you refer to as the zip code quota plan and anti-white texts. Take me through what's going on here. Sure. Well, the Boston uh, public, elite public schools, the ones that you used to have to get into based on standardized testing, just like in other places in the country. New York City has the elite public schools. Uh, Virginia has Thomas Jefferson. And what has happened is that the same people who were behind all this critical race training stuff decided that they wanted to alter the racial and ethnic mix, mostly because there were, in their minds, too many Asian students getting in as a percentage and too few uh, black and Latino students getting in based on the standardized testing. And so what they did is they devised a plan to lower the Asian percentage of students, but they couldn't say that out loud because that would be illegal. So what they did is they minimized the impact of standardized testing and also implemented a geographic diversity quota 
based on your zip code, based on where you lived. And uh, it was predicted that that would have the impact um, to uh, lower the Asian admission, and it did. And so they sued a group of parents led by Asian American parents, sued the Boston City Schools, and uh, they, their case got tossed out because Judge William Young, who's a very good judge, a more senior judge now, found that while this plan, uh, in his words, was very well lawyered, uh, there was no evidence of actual racial animus or racial intent in it. Well, what happened is somebody, after that decision came down, leaked to the Boston Globe, and it was confirmed by the Boston Herald, text messages sent by uh, school committee members during the meetings about this plan, um, which had very negative things to say about Asians and whites, particularly whites. And those were leaked, and those were never turned over during the case. And so the uh, what has happened is that the parents group has now gone back to court and saying, essentially, they hid things from us and they hid things from you too, Judge. You found that there was no racial animus here, no racial motivation, but they had these text messages that they never turned over to us that show just the opposite. You should reopen the case. And that hearing is taking place at 3 p.m. today. We find time and again that when a lot of these uh, school boards, others are are looked at when when they're asked questions they respond with this maybe impunity is not the the right word but they respond with a with a, with a sheer raw anger and very often and more often than we we should we see these kinds of things take place this is not the first time we've seen uh, what people are really thinking really saying whether it's something caught on tape or something uh, texted or, or shared in, in in a message what have you i still contend that the biggest thing that we're seeing is those people who have always felt um, protected by education can't believe that anybody could dare ask them a question about education. And it comes down to the idea that they are somehow trained, the parent is not, and so the parent should not be able to have a say. In this case, we're talking about open bigotry like we see in the Ivy Leagues towards Asian students. It's an open bigotry. What we're seeing now in these schools, these public schools and private schools, is this bigotry to the idea that how dare you challenge me? And I think that's where and uh, tell me if you agree or disagree with just the thought that's where the biggest pushback is coming from that the parent is daring to challenge the so-called expert yes that's ex exactly the case that you see that all the time well you don't have a degree in this you don't have training in this we do we know better than you do what's good for your own children uh we see that all the time and it's a, a an extreme hostility and, and anybody who has watched what the American Federation for Teachers just came out with in Randy Weingarten, a really angry threat to sue people and to defend teachers who are forbidden from teaching critical race theory. Well, if it's not being taught, you don't need to worry about it. But it's just we have the muscle. We have the legal teams. I think she even said our legal teams are either on standby or words to that effect, uh, basically trying to intimidate parents that if you try to interfere in what we're doing with your children, uh, we're going to send our lawyers in to help out local teachers. And that's what we're seeing over and over again. I mean, my goodness, the two national unions who uh, probably represent the vast majority of unionized teachers in the country are on the offensive as if it's their schools. I think that, you know, states need to consider legislation pairing back 
um, you know, to the extent they can, what these teachers unions are allowed to do. It's one thing to negotiate the terms and conditions of employment, what health care you get, what benefits you get, what salary you get, all those sort of things. That's traditional union sort of activity. But now they're dictating the curriculum in schools. And who are they to dictate the curriculum? And they're threatening to sue people who try to get in their way. Teachers, national teachers unions are completely out of control on this issue. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. And be sure to check out uh, their sister site, CriticalRace.org, that just shares the information of what critical race theory is, what schools are doing, and where they're teaching it. You can check out the map, fully interactive. That's CriticalRace.org. William, always a pleasure. I have got more, including a lovely chorus that just wants to change your kids. Yeah, it doesn't stop with the schools. I'm Tony Katz. One of the weirdest things to happen in 2021 is the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Is that what they're called? It's a very, very odd video that they've made. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And I have no issue with a San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Go live your life. I have no problem with any chorus go enjoy but they put out a song and the song is odd very very odd we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years there's still work to be done so to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights we have a message for you for those of you out there still working against equal rights well they've they've set this up lovely you think we're sinful you fight against our rights you say we all lead lives you can't respect but you're just frightened you think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked funny just this once you're correct wait what you're just frightened you think we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked funny just this once you're correct wow that's that's weird is this supposed to be satire of some kind it's just that is a weird weird thing to say and then they double down like a hundred times we'll convert your children happens bit by bit quietly and subtly and you will barely know you can keep him from disco Warn about San Francisco Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care We'll convert your children We'll make them tolerant and fair Convert them to what? That that does not get answered. So I think some people took it as like that you're going to convert them to homosexuality, and it's like I, I I think they meant liberalism, but it's it's very possible what they mean is whatever it is they want it to mean. What they have decided is they're going to sing a song and say, "Hey, you, you're a bigot, and we're going to do a better job raising your children than you." Uh, this could have been written by the teachers' union. This is crazy at first i didn't get why you'd be so scared of us turning your children into accepting caring people but i see now why you'd have a problem with that 
What makes you think that you could help my kid be accepting and caring and I can't? Because I'm I'm reading your lyrics here and and uh you're not accepting and caring. You 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 you're not. When you have the line, we're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for them. I'm reading the lyrics. We're coming for your children. For your children. Your children will care about fairness and justice for others. Your children will work to convert all their sisters and brothers. Then soon we're almost certain your kids will start converting you. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. But you don't have to worry because there's nothing wrong with standing by, by our side. Um, as somebody pointed out on Twitter very well 10 years ago, no, no, no. We, we just wanted same-sex marriage. That's all we want. Not, there's no agenda. And now you're singing about it. Dude, what do you want from me? This is weird. And And the idea that, like, I should just, like, Sit by and be like, oh, this is nothing. Nah, man, this is odd. You, you, you're, you're, you're some creepy dudes. And, and the whole video you made, and the, uh, it, you, you're some creepy dudes. I want you to live your life, and, and you don't need me in your way. Uh, I'm not going to let you get in my way. I reject the idea that you could ever teach my kid how to be decent. Not with a song like this. A song that preaches, we're coming for your children, which I believe was the tagline from the movie It, is not a way to get me to believe that you're a good dude. You are a windowless van kind of dude. But okay. This is what you want to put out. And then people are going to be like, what is this? They're going to scream and yell, and they're going to go, see, look how intolerant they are. That's why we need to save them, save their children from them. They always think they know best. Man, elitism is, is, is the disease. A disease. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. What's going on with the Olympics and how bad is it going to be? Dave Briggs is up next to discuss it. Keep it right here. So what kind of disaster are we looking at? I'm not talking about something that actually affects you and me. I'm talking about the Olympics in Tokyo. I had made the bet this wasn't going to happen. There's no way that with COVID and the way some nations are reacting, we're going to see an Olympics. What I left out of the equation, how absolutely hungry the IOC is for the dollars and the amount of money NBC has on the line tony katz tony katz today good to be with you facebook tony katz radio parlor instagram twitter at tony katz but we've got problems now because now there will be no fans because of covid and restrictions put forth by japan this has caused tennis stars and others to say we're not going to go to the olympics then you have the people who aren't in the olympics like shikari richardson the track and field star because she smoked marijuana and that's a banned substance so you take away the athletes that you want to see and you're left with the athletes who might turn their back on the american flag should they win a medal and get 
to the podium. Dave Briggs joins us right now, former NBC Sports anchor, including the Rio Olympics, and now with Turner Sports. On a scale of, of, of one to absolute hot garbage, insanity, dumpster fire, how bad are people thinking these Olympics are going to be? Uh, I, I don't think we're quite to dumpster fire level, but if that's a 10, I think it's probably an 8. But, Tony, good to talk to you. I think they were looking at a disaster before the decision to remove fans from the venues. When you combine with it, no real prominent U.S. stars besides Simone Biles, who arguably might be the greatest Olympian, the greatest athlete of all time of any kind. Other than her and maybe Katie Ledecky, the swimmer, there's no real U.S. stars that are prominent international stars have retired as well uh tokyo is 13 hours ahead of the u.s east coast sports ratings are down there's less interest in the olympics the the fan decision was really just the cherry on top of a disastrous sunday for uh for nbc sports and and i don't know how many people realize this tony even going back to my days with the rio olympics most broadcasters i'm talking 50 percent or higher or in Stanford, Connecticut, where NBC is located, they are not at the actual venues as cost-cutting, cost-cutting measures. That number is probably closer to 75% now. So when you have no fans and no feel whatsoever what that venue is like because somebody's sitting in Stanford, it's going to be a really difficult watch, especially on tape. I do not envy NBC. So you're saying that when... When we're watching these events, the the people who are are, are doing what, what what you do and you know moderating these events, sharing with us what's going on, inside knowledge, they're not there on scene. That that is right, and and they try not to tell you that. They try not to reveal that. In any case, I just ran into a good friend who's doing the soccer games, and I thought, okay, prominent event like soccer, you'll be there, right? He said, nope, I'm calling the games from my little tiny black booth in Stamford, Connecticut. And I can tell you when I did tennis back at the Rio games, we were coming out with this big, beautiful shot of Rio and the weather and how excited we were. And our reporters in our ear saying, Dave, it's raining here. We're in rain delay. <laughs> and we just had egg on our face. So that's just going to really come. Now, there are a few broadcasters, the prominent faces, the Mike Tirico's of the world, who will be there in Tokyo, but I would guess that number is close to 75% would be in Connecticut. And again, no prominent U.S. athletes. And one of the great shots of the Olympics is always the parents, the families in the stands. I don't know that sports like swimming or diving matter that much if the fans aren't there, but the big sports, basketball, uh, tennis, um, the team sports will really be impacted. NBC is actually going to have cameras inside the homes of a lot of parents around the country in order to try to compensate for that moment. But I don't think that's going to do much to compensate for the massive drop-off in ratings. Talking to Dave Briggs, formerly of NBC Sports, and now you see him here, there, and everywhere, Turner Sports and other spots. Now let's get into what has taken place. You've got the athletes that are more than willing to turn their back on the American flag, and then you've got the yep. athletes who don't make it into the Olympics because of something as as people would say ridiculous as smoking marijuana, even though 
I have said before, I've said this publicly, I've said it on radio, I've said it on TV, there are rules and these are the rules and you knew these were the rules and you violated the rules, you got to be held responsible to it. What is, what is, uh, is let's call it NBC, what is NBC more worried about? Uh, the, uh, the idea of losing these athletes or the idea of seeing the woke athletes make a scene that they're going to have to deal with at the Olympics? Believe me, uh, at talking with colleagues at NBC, they are petrified. And woke is the way that decisions are being made at all networks. I think we can acknowledge that with maybe the exception of Fox. All of these network executives are going with woke over ratings, and I can't really explain that. But they are petrified, they are terrified of the possibility of some athlete like Gwen Berry with an un-American temper tantrum. They are terrified of that moment, and they will do anything to avoid that happening. They will do anything to avoid it. And, you know, when you talk about Gwen Berry, no one even, no one was going to watch the hammer throw. Hell, most of us didn't even know the hammer throw was an Olympic event. But now, when you see that happen, it just turns you off about the entire Olympic movement, really hurts your, your patriotism, and that's what these games are all about. So any moment like Gwen Berry would be devastating for the Olympics. But the Shakari Richardson story, now she is the fastest U.S. Uh, sprinter, and that was a big loss. She had a lot of fans. Michelle Obama had tweeted about her, in addition to some other high-profile celebrities across the country. I know you say rules are rules, but just to give you a little context, that rule makes absolutely no damn sense because the WADA has three qualifiers for a banned drug in which you have to qualify for two. One, it is harmful for the athlete. Cannabis is not in any way, shape, or form. Number two, is it performance enhancing? I've done years of research on that. No, not by any means is it performance enhancing. There are scientists who believe it could hurt your performance. And number three, is it violate the spirit of the sport? That's just a BS catch-all rule that makes no sense that has no definition, so you can ban things like cannabis. Yeah, rules are rules, but this rule makes no sense. It doesn't even even meet their own threshold for a banned drug. You're not going to get an argument from me, Dave. My argument's not that it, it, it shouldn't be uh, a banned substance. It, it, I, I have no dog in the fight. I don't care. My point is she knew it when she did it, and, and she did it. She had a hardship. I think she lost a family member, uh, Shikari Richardson. I, I feel for her, but she knew what was happening. She, you know, it's, it's the airplane line. She bought her ticket. She knew what she was getting into. I, I can agree with that. I only wish she would have used her moment on the Today Show with Savannah Guthrie and said, this rule makes no sense, and just put up those three qualifiers for a WA, WADA-banned drug that I just mentioned, because the rule can't even justify itself. Yes, she took full responsibility knowing she knew the rules and knowing she was breaking a rule, but there are a lot of rules that just don't make sense and need to be changed, and I hope there is more pressure. In addition to that, I think it was a boneheaded, idiotic decision by the U.S. Track and Field Federation to not keep her available for the 4x100-meter relay. That's after her suspension is over. So they absolutely should have put her on that team as a makeup call because then you would have had a lot of these prominent U.S. athletes uh, like Patrick Mahomes, the chief quarterback, say, well, at least the U.S. Track and Field Association did the right thing. 
they did the wrong thing. It's going to be ugly, man. Talking to Dave Briggs, Turner Sports, going over what we're going to see in these uh, Olympics. The viewership, of course, is everything because the viewership is what they want for the advertisers and being able to sell this again going forwards. But really, the entirety of the Olympics has changed. The cost has grown massively. The security costs are, are a huge part of that. Then you have the geopolitics about, for example, whether an Olympic Games should ever again take place. In China, and conversations whether the United States should get in on banning uh, those Olympics. Does the cost of the Olympics make sense anymore in a modern world? A hard no. Absolutely not. Even with fans, Tokyo is going to get crushed economically. And the theory is always what it generates years and years later. Never going to be a moneymaker during the event, but it's that spotlight for a couple of weeks on global television that they always bet on in the long run as a win. I don't think financially it makes sense for anyone to ever bid on the Olympics again. They're looking at a $15 billion price tag in which at least, at least half of that is going to be a massive loss. But down the road, there is no way the IOC can continue to say we stand up for human rights and we're going to Beijing. It's just utterly ridiculous. So at some point, the IOC has to draw a line in the sand and get rid of any Chinese venue to to hold a potential Olympics. That should never happen again. And I hope there are athletes that do skip out. When we come back to Beijing, I hope there are those that take a stand for the human rights abuses going on there. But I doubt that'll happen because it's they're really only shot to make some real money. Maybe you'll see some of the rich athletes like the, the men's basketball players. That would be a smart move. But we saw what happened the last time. China, um, um, yeah, I'm about they to. All catered. They uh, all yeah, we're going to see the NBA say sorry, we won't participate in an Olympics in China. We're going to see LeBron James make that call. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I remember what happened the last time China got pissed at the NBA. They cowered. They crumbled. They fell to their knees. I would love to see a Kevin Durant or a uh, you know, one of these big stars, a Jason Tatum, who's on the team, um, I doubt it because they realize how much money is available to them in China as an individual, as a league, and in particular those shoe brands. So I would love to see that happen. But ultimately, you may be looking at uh, the fact that not many cities around the world want to host an Olympics, so they may not have much choice but to continue going back to China because who else is going to blow that kind of cash? Dave Briggs, former NBC Sports anchor, including the Rio Olympics and with Turner Sports. Always a pleasure. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So there's a video making the rounds on social media. And the video looks like a a gunfight. Tony Katz, great to be with you, Tony Katz, today. Be sure to go to TonyKatz.com, get the podcast, see the latest, support the show. TonyKatz.com. There's a guy in a red hoodie. 
and he's firing, I don't know who he's firing at, it's like in the middle of, uh, like in a quad, in the middle of, a, of some apartments. He just walks up, and he's he's firing, and, and then he's running, and then he, he kind of runs back into frame, and and he's he's still fi- I don't know who he's firing on. I can't see who he's firing on. But I, I do see the uh, two kids, three, three kids riding their tricycles, and uh, that's a kid on a scooter right there who are just watching this happen. You're going to see this video. You are going to see this video. The kids are just there. One kid never got off his bike. One kid did actually get up and run, but they're just... This this is like normal. Somebody show this to Mayor Lori Lightfoot on a loop and ask her if crime is going down in Chicago because crime is not going down in chicago it's a lie we all know it's a lie we're all fully aware that it that it's a that it's a lie this is standard operating procedure then there's this story from business insider about how grocery stores are stockpiling food and other items and you're like, well, I thought I thought that's just what people did. I thought we were the ones who were just absolutely panicky all the time. And and, uh, and what, what's the word I'm looking for? Hoarding. That's it. They're hoarding this, that, and the other. There is one supermarket chain purchasing 50% more inventory than usual, buying ahead whenever possible to protect margins. Paper products, pasta sauce, pasta itself, olive oil. We're buying more ingredients for home cooks, including flour and spices. We're also buying ahead on cleaning products for the fall and back to school. Because prices on everything have gone up. They've seen an increase in sales in lobster, shrimp, prime meat, organic produce. Frozen food sales increasing 20% over last year. The nation's largest grocery wholesaler purchasing up to 20% more inventory because they want to be able to continue to sell it to you and they want to be able to for as long as they can make their dollars now that's different than whether or not you are going to stockpile this that and the other i will tell you that in a conversation i had with my wife three weeks ago we started making sure that all our reserves were good to go jeez i'm not a prepper I i would never say that but I am absolutely prepared for things to go south. I'm not prepared for three months. I'm prepared for a solid three weeks. A very solid three weeks. And simply we've moved that up to a full month, a full 30 days. Not a 21 day, a 30 day supply. Because, uh, not that I have fear. I don't actually have fear. Just the world is what the world is right now. And a world that is is trying to ensure that it can margin, it build, keep its margins, in a world that that likes to hoard, in a world that acts silly, and in a world that doesn't do anything about petty theft. If you think the theft at the Walgreens or the theft at the Neiman Marcus are the issue, they're stealing purses. Oh gosh, somebody got themselves a Birkin bag. Good on them. That's nothing compared to when there's theft of milk. The lawless society creates new 
paradigms and it creates new ways of saying what really matters and how does one stay ahead of that game we think people are stealing mascara wait till they're stealing meat why wouldn't that happen oh i'm sorry have i thought too far ahead and everyone's now catching up well here you are cpac is going on in dallas and kurt schlichter is there on the ground the town hall columnist he's got the latest on what the activists think need to happen next this is tony katz today